This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 188. Hello, veterinary friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful guest for you. His name is Dr. Caleb Frankel, and he is the founder and CEO of Instinct Vet, and he is also an emergency medicine veterinarian currently working. Right, Caleb? Yep. Still in practice. Still crazy. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast to speak with me. And is it okay if I call you Caleb? Oh yeah, please. Okay. And thanks for having me. It's great to be yeah, here. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you here. So is there, do you want to just start by telling me a little bit about your veterinary journey, how it all started for you? I love to hear those stories. Yeah, of course. So, um, so I graduated from uh, Penn's vet school um, about 15 years ago, which is kind of crazy to say now. Um, but it's fast, uh, doesn't it? It does. The gray hair is real, um, and mostly for my kids. Um, but, but the veterinary, yeah, the veterinary journey for me um, is probably pretty classic. I'm, I'm definitely one of those people who, you know, by the time I was uh, newly in high school, I, I sort of knew what track I wanted to go down, and, um, and basically, it started for me in Central Pennsylvania, where I'm from, actually. Um, and uh, I was uh, doing an honors program in high school where you were placed with, uh, you were able to be placed in um, career exploration in the afternoons. Um, I think I was 16 years old, and and um, I I love science and I loved animals and I had nobody medical in my real life actually. Most of my family was business, and I said, well, uh, combining those two things, maybe I'll check out being a veterinarian. And and uh, so the, I had a bunch of these sort of experiences lined up. And the first one was with a veterinarian who um, worked on Amish farms, large animal in the morning and and small animal in his uh, day practice in the afternoon and you know, very James Harriet type medicine. Um, and I did my first, you know, experience in high school. Uh, I, you know, arrived at like 2 p.m., I want to say, and we're finishing up the Amish farm calls and, and ended up, you know, you're supposed to leave by like five or whatever at the latest. I ended up being there till 1030 at night. I couldn't get enough. I mean, he it, just right? saw appointments had emergencies and and that was it for me actually I canceled every other experience and just did more and more veterinary experiences and I I never looked back I was one of those people who never changed my major from then on I had a focus and when I have a focus I can usually just um, figure out ways to execute it and um, and that's how it all started and and led to um, you know going to undergraduate, I went to the University of Maryland, did animal sciences, and then went to Penn right after that for veterinary school. And, and that's how I got here. That's fascinating. So I, when you said you worked till 1030 and you were loving every minute of it, that always piques my interest because so many people now are so focused on not, you know, spending their, all their time at vet med and getting out of work on time and all of that. So did that change for you over the years? Like, did you get to the point where you're like, I'm not gonna spend all my time working or, or do you still have that kind of passion for it? Fascinating question. I look back on that and think about how toxic it probably was, right? Um, but it didn't feel like it in the moment, right? It didn't. It was a little bit of a different time and a different world and a different environment. I mean, first of all, you have to understand his practice where we were was rural and that means if he's closed, there's nothing, right, for the animals. Yeah, there's um, no help, right. Yeah, and so, you know, I was there that night late because there were two emergencies um, that we were dealing with, and I was just fascinated by it. And, um, and you know, he, he's, he was a general practice, not an emergency, but this is at a time where there were no emergency centers, literally. Um, he, he would wake up in the middle of the night and get called in because he was all there was, right? Um, and so, you know, just with that context, there, there was that. But then to answer your question, you know, as I got out into my veterinary career, you know, 20 years, well, 10 years later, I guess, from that experience, I, um, 
you know, I was in a little bit of a different world. I did an internship right out of veterinary school at a small animal um, private practice. And, um, you know, it was a mega 50 doctor kind of referral center. And uh, I noticed something. And, and by the way, in between, I didn't spend much time in veterinary hospitals, as weird as that sounds. I was not the person who was the kennel assistant or the veterinary technician background. I mean, I really had nothing. <laughs> um, right as a vet. I started right as a vet and man, would I not recommend it? I mean, the people who did nursing, I have great respect for because they really understood it. I had more of a ramp, right, to figure out the hospital. But I also had a really fresh perspective that challenged the status quo, which I thought was, you know, that's my MO for sure. Sure. And, um, and, but when I got out, I noticed right away, because in school, you don't notice this stuff, you know, everybody's working forever, and that's normal and expected. Right. And I don't yeah, think that should cool. change. Yeah, but then you get out. And I noticed that non interns were there till 10 o'clock at night, writing records, um, dealing with their clients, whatever it was helping with patients. And I noticed that, um, it, it just wouldn't be sustainable for people to do that um, for their career. And, and I actually, that, that started my software journey, really picking up on this. And, and that sounds pretty, um, pretty standard these days. But remember, this was in 2008 before burnout was really being talked about in veterinary medicine. People were just recognizing that we had like a problem with things like, you know, serious things like suicide and divorce and ranking really highly in, you know, um, stress and anxiety and burnout in our profession. And, and this was back when it really wasn't talked about, but I could see it coming. Um, and that was part of, you know, how I got so obsessed with software and technology on the ground floor. So when you you went through school and you liked this kind of James Harriet career, when you got out of school, you did the internship, then did you go to mixed practice or did you go to small animal or what'd you do? Yeah, great question. I, I went to undergrad at a place, I sought out animal sciences, which is very large animal focused um, as a undergraduate major purposely because I thought maybe I would want to do some mixed animal. Um, but what's interesting, you know, I came from a small animal background, even though I was in a, you know, rural, um, semi-rural upbringing, um, but I didn't have any large animal experience at all. Um, and so being on farms was fascinating for me, especially the Amish farms, but I was a fish out of water for sure. I knew nothing about husbandry. I mean, I had to read about just like why they were doing anything, you know, it was just the basic basics for me. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to do an undergrad in animal sciences because I wanted to fill those holes to see if I did want to do mixed animal. And then I got out, um, you know, it, even in, at Penn, I was doing the mixed animal track. Back then you tracked and I chose both. But um, it became clear by my last year of vet school that um, I started liking either internal medicine or emergency medicine. And, and, you know, as it turns out, if you want to be good at one of those things, it really does help to pick your species. Um, and especially for somebody like me, it was the husbandry part of large animal was going to be a real lift for me to get really good at. Um, and, and I just, I like doing things I'm good at. And so, you know, not focusing on that and adding that layer of trying to put that together with your clinical learning um, just felt like a fool's errand for me. So I quickly sort of diverted that track, but I love to this day bovine medicine still. Do you? Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating that you say that because when I was in, I went to Michigan State and when I was there, I was, I remember distinctly being in my large animal rotation and we had um, his name was Dr. Baker, but he was like the god of bovine medicine at that time. And I was terrified because I was a city kid, you know, like I had done some horse work and, and yeah. small animal, but I had no idea about cows. And I remember him calling me into the office one time and I thought I was going to get in trouble. And he said, he said, why are you so terrified of me? And I said, because I don't know anything about cows. I'm like, yeah. I know nothing. I know they're cute. And that's about it. So he was like, well, that's how I started. He said, I was a city kid too. And he said, I had to learn. So he said, you're fine, just relax. Yep. And so after that, it was, it was kind of a big relief that he was gonna teach me what I needed to know. And I wasn't gonna be, end up being a cow vet anyway, most likely. So, um, it, but that was fascinating because I think a lot of vet students and if any of our uh, any of them are listening, freak out when they're doing something that they're not used to doing. Yeah, and it's the same for the large animal students when they come to small. I mean, I yes. remember just bringing them under my wing. They were terrified of working with dogs, you know, some of them, which is like 
pretty hilarious to me because they would stand up to these, you know, thoroughbred racehorses, which that was the part that was terrifying for me. I was just right. like, what am I doing in this stall? You know, I remember, I remember one wild horse. Oh yeah. I remember one experience, um, you know, at, at Penn, the large animal and the small animal are separate. So they're, because the, the Penn small animal hospitals in the city, obviously the large animal is about an hour outside. So when you're outside, you live at the dorms, you, you know, it's a whole different experience, um, a whole different terrifying experience um, for, for a city kid, but I loved it. Um, but I remember one experience where, you know, in vet school, you barely get any you know personal time and my then girlfriend now wife came out to New Bolton and I happened to have a you know a single um dorm room so she stayed with me and I got to show her what we did out there um and uh and she woke up with me I remember at like 3 30 3 45 because you have to have your treatments done before rounds right and I had so many horses to take care of I remember that morning and she was my assistant and uh you know I I wasn't sure if we would make it in our relationship after that morning because she followed me around and there were times where I I almost died with the horses I mean you know but it's like the normal vet school like almost dying you know like you're by yourself not really trained for it having to give injections and meds and be careful about it and you know you've been trained but not to the degree you'd hope and not, not um, that you've you been know, around horses nurse. all your life like you don't know no. their behavior and yeah yeah that. and you're being really careful and you know you're saying things to my girlfriend then that was like hey if I you know bolt out I need you to hold this gate so you shut it as fast as possible <laughs> you know it's like to most vet students that's normal you're like oh yeah I remember those times but like to my you know my now wife um it, she tells those stories to this normal day people morning. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the heck are any of you doing there? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy profession. But those of us that are in it, for whatever reason, just thrive on that kind of unpredictability, I guess. Yeah, I mean, looking back, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I know a lot of people who say to vet students, and this actually bothers me a little bit, you know, or to people who are thinking about entering this career, you know, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't. I, I feel I, that makes me so cringy. Um, I, I feel so lucky that I've been through those experiences. I wouldn't trade them for the world. Um, veterinarians are very different people because of what we've been through and what we do for animals by the way it's not for like wall street or whatever it is right it's it, <laughs> we're not it's, making it's, piles of money <laughs> no it's a really special thing to have done and and be a part of and um it shapes you as a human um so i i have as you can tell in my voice i have a lot of respect for the veterinarian and, and the yeah. veterinary nurse and, and that shapes what we do at instinct yeah i, I really really love that you say that because that's why I'm doing this. I want people to love it because yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's hard. Like it, it's all those things. But I think that's why it's beautiful because it's all those things, you know, and we have the best stories. We do. And, and what's the alternative? You're in an office. I mean, it's, you know, it, sitting at a computer all day. When yeah, I do like this, I do now. <laughs> yeah, about two or three hours of this. And I'm like, oh, I got to go do something because this is this is hard. So tell me how you ended up because now you're a software guy, right? So yeah. tell me how you got from being an ER doc in down this road. Like you wanted to change something, obviously. That's how most entrepreneurs show up, right? Yeah, this was not the plan. Um, I'll tell you that much that, you know, I'm a planner. So this is kind of weird for me because I'm the kid who was 16 years old and knew I was going to vet school, didn't even know what it would take or what that meant. I probably at that point didn't even know how many years vet school was. We're or just going to do it. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm going to be a vet. That's a given, you know, um, and then you figure it out. Right. And I'm the kid who didn't take a break, like, you know, high school to undergrad, same major from day one to vet school. Um, and now I'm, you know, running a software company, which makes no sense, but, um, but it sort of does if you, you know, look at things. I've always been a hobby technologist, first of all. Um, so I've always, um, I've always loved technology because I think it is a really interesting way to enrich your life if you're good at it. Um, and I saw back in the early, you know, from the first day I had a computer, which was probably, honestly, it was probably around the same time as I discovered veterinary medicine, I got my first computer, right? And that's crazy for people to hear. But remember, this was like the 90s, right? So 
Um, so in, in, I want to say 1995, I got my first computer, you know, and it, it felt like that day I spent in the veterinary clinic, you know, it, it felt magical and, and there was a lot of possibility to it. And from that day forward, I was always tinkering, um, with technology and, and I'm, I'm not like a gamer with technology. It was more like productivity and how it could improve lives through, you know, the things that people do in their daily work, right? And, um, and so that took me to, um, you know, my education where I use technology a lot, even in the early days, um, to try to figure out ways to be better at whatever I was doing. And then I got to vet school, and I was the dork with a, are you ready for this, like a Palm Pilot, you know, we didn't have these. Um, so, uh, we didn't have the phones, but we had, we had Palm Pilots when I was in vet school and I had one and I was trying to use it for anything I could. I was like, you know, my, my clinicians were like, what is wrong with this guy? I'm sure. Um, and, you know, of course we were all on paper records then. And, um, and then I got out into my internship and I remember this is when it started. I, <clears throat> I was in a really progressive, um, uh, small animal practice called Coral Springs Animal Hospital that definitely shaped my career. And, and at that time, Coral Springs had, it was one of the like legacy first specialty kind of centers out there that wasn't a university. It had been around since the seventies. The owner, uh, a man named uh, Lloyd Mizells was a really progressive thinker in operations and, and ran a really cool internship program. Um, he's since retired, but um, you know, he definitely shaped my career because they had won practice of the year, you know, award several times. They were trying to use anything they could to make their teams better. Um, they would spare no expense. They would try things. And, and I got out and I remember this, you know, just looking at the state of things, I was blindsided by the state of technology and software. And <clears throat> remember, I spent no time in vet clinics, so I didn't know what it was like, right? But I did have this one really weird experience in my background. During summers of undergrad and summers of vet school, it was really summers between, but I worked at a company called Booz Allen Hamilton, and it's a global consulting firm that many veterinarians have probably never heard of, but most business people know. And I worked there because my best friend's um, uh, aunt was a partner there um, and they were working on some projects that needed animal health domain expertise and they ran an internship program for college students and, and I was on teams as the animal health expert. And what I saw was really cool, which was how industries would use, other industries were using technology around the time. And then that informed the days I got out into private practice, right? They were trying to use everything and I was blindsided by the state of, or the lack of technology. So or we were so far software. behind as a, I couldn't as a believe profession. It. <laughs> yeah, this was 15 years ago. And by the way, you know, forward, fast forwarding to why I started Instinct, I looked back and it had been about 10 years and nothing had changed like literally not a thing um and it's, it's i said because most of us aren't techies right well yeah i mean I, I remember when i graduated i would say like one or two in ten would be like me like hey what are we doing here um and everybody else was like what what's wrong with you just write the paper record you know um and and now i i see in my practice interns and residents who are coming coming out and they've got every device and you know they're like oh you, you know you guys made instinct that's amazing that we use that at school and um and it's probably eight in ten now feel that way you know wow. so it's changed yeah. a lot which is really cool to see um but but anyway that is what led me to this and so back in those days when I was a baby the intern, I became not only obsessed with emergency medicine, becoming a great clinician, but I became like, honestly, not health, not in a healthy way, obsessed with the state of technology. And my, my mentor there, Dr. Mizell's put got me on the IDEX software advisory board to try to make their products better. And um, I was doing research on everything that was out there. I tinkered and created a blog about, you know, Excel and Google Sheet boards we were using, and then referring vets would come in and say, "How'd you like make that?" And they would say, "Oh, Caleb can come out to your clinic and show you." <laughs> um, and and so and I trust me, I did a bunch of things that just didn't work, and we never looked back. But um, but that is really what started it uh, back in the early days, um, and it wouldn't be until another. Um, you know, seven years until I started Instinct. And, you know, there was a path in between where I, I, you know, actually took a, I started a blog and that led to me being director of new product development at a company called Brief Media, where they make clinicians brief, um, a wonderful company that most know. 
But back in 2013, they had secretly partnered with Don Plum, the author of Plums. He's a real person for most people who don't know, and he's a great person. Um, but they had partnered with him to finally make a high quality version of Plums on a digital resource, but they were just creating the ideas for taking the book digital and they needed a veterinarian to, to start the team and run the project. And, and I was brought in initially consulting and then I was really given a job I wasn't qualified for, director of new product development. And in 2013, myself and a couple others there started this Plums project. And, and we made the, you know, we're, we're the early team behind um, the Plums app, which many use. And, and uh, I don't have anything to do with that now the plums team you know runs that but i was on the initial team that started that and um and that's really where i learned how to do this um and it was that, exciting and i stayed in the clinic but yeah that's fascinating to me because just this week i i have a couple new vets that are working at my practice with me and just this week we were look i forget what drug we were talking about but i said do either one of you have that plums book because one of my other doctors had the actual book and I'm like, you guys have that? And they're like, they both whipped out their phones. They're like, yeah, it's right here. And I'm like, oh, you can tell I'm old because I'm looking for the book and they've got it like at their fingertips. Yep. And uh, it was fascinating. So we, we actually had the conversation about Plums, the, the app. So it's funny that you say that because we just talked about that this week. So, yeah. so tell me how it went from that to Instinct. Like, tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, at Plums, you know, I was fortunate because, um, you know, they were a publishing company for the most part. They had, they had a digital team working on the website, um, but they didn't, they've never made point of care software. And, and uh, I was brought in to help figure it out, really. And so I just figured it out. Um, and myself and a couple of people who are now, you know, with me at Instinct, we hired a uh, you know, a team around it and um, figured out how to, it, it was the place where I learned how to work with software life cycles and uh, manage software engineers and design high quality software and commercialize it and support it. I mean, I was, you know, I did everything with the CEO there and um, it was a wonderful experience and um, it really helped me. So, you know, before that I had ideas at that point for fixing what I called the software mess one day. Oh, I didn't yeah. know if I'd ever do it, um, but, that project really, you know, being director of new product development there really taught me how I, that I could do it um, and how this could potentially happen. And in 2016, about three years into that project, it had become very successful. And we, you know, we, we realized we were really good at it. I sort of said to the core team there, I have some much bigger ideas, you know, to solve some problems in the veterinary space around software. And, and I had, you know, um, I had a, a good idea of what it would take to do it. And uh, long story short, in late 2016, we decided to work on this as a nights and weekends project out of my basement here in the Philadelphia area. And as scrappy as it gets, you know, we kept our I had three jobs then. I had my, you know, working as director of new product development. I was in the clinic two days a week. And then, um, and then I was working on this on nights and weekends. And um, that continued probably for too long, but it was a really great experience. We built a prototype. We figured out what we wanted to do and we tested it with um, a lot of key people. I had, you know, become really good friends and contacts with in the industry. And, and you know, we were showing this to big hospitals um, and they were saying, wow, if you, if you built this, we would use it. If, you know, how long would it take before this is real? And so we, we raised a little bit of money and we thought we had enough validation for our, our prototype. And at, at the end of 2016, we started building the real thing out of my basement and we never looked back. In May of 17, we launched um, our, you know, what I call our market entry product, which was a treatment plan. So it's a digital whiteboard solution that connects to other practice software. And it was built specifically for the large hospitals, emergency centers, specialty centers, teaching hospitals. Um, and that was the first product we built and launched. And to this day, that's running, you know, we have, we have 50,000 people who've used it on four continents. It runs over half the teaching hospitals out there. Um, you know, a lot of the big centers like AMC in New York and the Blue Pearl Hospital. So um, we're really proud of that. And, um, and we started the company really off that product. So, so the that product was before the company, then the company came and now there's more, right? Well, yeah, no, that was with the company. So we, so okay. in 2016, we, uh, you know, basically incorporated Instinct as a separate entity. We, that was the product 
you know, the, the company we were working on this instinct treatment plan under, okay. um, uh, you know, of course, uh, brief media knew we were working on this as a side thing and they were very supportive and they, you know, they wanted us to stay a part of the plums project. So many of us kept that job for over a year, actually, while we were doing this, um, which was crazy, but, um, but eventually we did step down, you know, completely and, and it had taken on a life of its own. So, um, so no, it's always been instinct since 2016 and, um, we launched in 17 and, um, and then in 2019, we had built a really big following for us, um, in these big hospitals. And we started hearing the same thing, which is, you know, Hey, this is amazing, but when could it be the whole thing? Um, and we always knew we wanted to solve, you know, the whole problem if it wasn't solved by the time we got there and it wasn't solved. And, and we said, you know, we're in a unique position. It'll be a big lift to go there, but we've done a lot of the, you know, the foundational work. And so we had a couple of the universities approach us and said, look, we're thinking about switching to something, um, and, but we don't want to. Um, and we love, they were already using our treatment plan and said, everybody loves it. Is there any chance you're going to build this? Because we would regret going in a different direction. And we said, look, we haven't told anybody this, but one day we would like to. It's probably a couple of years off. Um, we had a small team there, you know, we were bootstrapped and, um, and we, uh, we, they said, well, what would it take for us to push you over the edge to start doing it? And so we had that conversation. A little and bit so of money, maybe. Yeah, like a like an agreement that you would do this. Um, so you buy it uh, after we did all the work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Become a customer. And, and so that's actually how we got started. And then, you know, it turns out a lot of our hospitals wanted that. Um, and so in 2020, right before the pandemic, we started working on instinct DMR in sort of stealth mode, which is that's our full practice management software. medical records, right? Yeah, it's a full practice management software, despite okay. the name. Yep. Um, and we wanted to call it Instinct DMR to differentiate it a little bit. We really, you know, think it's, you know, the PIMS landscape, as everybody calls it, is, you know, I, I think it should be the unPIMS. Like it, it really needs a shakeup. Um, and it needs a shakeup from the veterinary floor up. Um, and that's how we approached it, which is totally a weird way to do this. It's initially focused on specialty ER teaching, urgent care, which is interesting. Nobody's really ever done that and done it well. Um, and and uh, we, we have general practices using it to be clear. It's just, we haven't focused on that yet. We will, um, but it, um, it was a huge project during the pandemic, we were working on it. We planned to launch it in 2021 one, which we did bring it out of beta then, but, um, but we had a couple of hospitals in 2020 who came to us and did a demo and said, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to go in a different direction. You know, our first one was like, I'm opening my hospital in, I think it was June, 2020. We were six months maybe into building. And they said, look, we don't want a different software and then switch. This is our future. And we said, okay, well, here's, I mean, this thing's really early. They were using Microsoft Word, you know, for example, to augment parts we didn't build yet, which we knew we weren't going to get to yet. And, <laughs> and um, you know, they're customers to this day and love that hospital. And, and uh, so we did have a couple of hospitals like that using it in beta in 2020, which is a really great way to build a product because you get real users. Um, but uh, but then in 2021, I think it was February, we really took it out of beta and have been rolling it out every week since. And it's still maturing. It's, um, it's, I'm so proud of what it does and, and how it works and the team around it. It's, it's exciting. We, it's a, you know, it's a huge project. So there's a lot to build, but it is, you know, a full PIMS to be clear. Um, and we've done it our way and we're really excited about what building for the future. So tell, tell me what you're trying to do. Like, are you trying to make it just click a button and our records are like automatically written up? Like what's the goal? Like what, what are you trying to do for the, like on the ground person that doesn't know tech very well? Like what, it, what is your goal for us? The people that are going to use the software? Yeah. Yeah. So I hope you can hear me. There's like a, an amazing amount of block going now. It's fine. Um, I can I can okay. hear it a little bit, but I okay. think we'll be okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Things sorry, happen. Everybody. Yeah. So I didn't plan that. Um, so the you know the we named the company Instinct for a reason. Okay. Um, okay. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, I mean, look, like your software should help you. It should it should take over things that you don't want to think about that you do repeatedly, for example. And you know, I once counted in my you know I, I count clicks, and I once counted in my software that it it took me eleven clicks to record a phone conversation um, in the software I had been using, right? And how many times do we record a phone conversation a day, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, and probably not all of them because I, I know, oh, that's 11 clicks. Do I really want to record this, right? Um, and so, you know, that's a great example of where very thoughtfully designed, which is, again, why we called it instinct, thoughtfully designed from people who live it, people who get it. We have 10 veterinarians on our team. I don't even know any of the major software companies that have that. Um, and, you know, we we really want to design something from a user experience perspective that has that thoughtful automation in it. And and look, there's there are other companies who've you know tried this and and who do some flavor of it, but we're taking it to another layer. So there's something in human health called decision support. Um, and decision support is a fancy word for you know you getting help doing what you're doing in your day job at the at the moment, at the point of you doing it, right? So at the point of care. And you know we've done something around decision support, for example, from the early days in our treatment plan, which we still offer and many people you know choose to use that software, um, are you know connected to a different practice management solution. And in that, program and our full practice management system, we have uh, patient safety warnings, which are a great example of what we do that's very different. So here's, here's an example. You go to prescribe a medication or put it on a treatment sheet because you want your nurses to give a dose of, you know, whatever. Um, and instinct will step in if you put because we know the weight and the, the drug, um, instinct will step in if you put a dangerously high dose or low dose, actually, an effective dose, and step in and say, hey, before you do this, are you sure? Because instinct detected about that you, you may not want to, right? Right, um, right. Maybe you should think again. <laughs> so, <your> <laughs> we, yep, so we catch thousands of errors at hospitals, which will turn into um, you know, patient safety issues, right? Will turn into lawsuits at minimum client um, concerns, right? And right. and so that's a great example of something we do that's super unique. And we have a lot of other little things I could tell you about like that that add up to making this, I think, a very special um, uh, tool for the industry going forward. Yeah, I think if you could minimize the clicks for sure, because I when you said that, I was like, yeah, you got to go through like eight different steps to just enter something in the record. And yep. that gets annoying because you have to do it so many times during the day. Yep. And then the safety issue is huge. Absolutely. It's huge. Especially for, I mean, there's this, I, I lecture to students and there's this, um, uh, there's this, you know, um, ever-changing amount of medical knowledge that um, veterinarians need to keep, keep up with. And it's the same in human health. And I think, you know, the statistic, I don't have it in front of me that I use, but it, it, there was a study in the NIH that the doubling rate of medical knowledge in the 1950s was 50 years. So it would take every 50 years for the medical literature to double, right? And in 2020, they estimated that it was down to 70 days, seven zero days. I mean, just how can you um, expect uh, a, a, an industry, uh, a practitioner to keep up with that kind of medical knowledge. And so these are the things that we are trying to think about because software should be way more. Um, of course, it's a trade-off though, right? You can't do everything when you build software like this. Right. So that means, right. yeah, that means that we've had to pick where our tools are a little bit more rudimentary at first and we'll build on those, right? But we've we've strategically picked, you know, where we want to have the biggest impact for hospitals, you know, who really think differently that are the modern hospitals for the future. Right, yeah. So is there something when you started to develop the software, something about what you you're discovering that it can do that like surprised you and you were like, oh, I didn't think of this, but look what we're doing. And this is su super cool for the hmm. on the ground. Well, uh, I mean, the early days, I will tell you, we had two missions that we were trying to do with our software. One was um, help practitioners be more efficient and happy. So, you know, staff efficiency and staff happiness, which turned into like a really important thing. Um, uh -huh. 
And number two was why we're all here, patient outcomes, right? Um, but we added in a third that, you know, um, we didn't realize we were doing this, but now it moves the needle. And as it turns out, that's why a lot of, you know, hospital groups buy our software and that is capture missed charges. So mm -hmm. missed charges are um, really, you know, sort of our third, you know, reason for existence. And for those that don't know what that is, veterinary medicine has this weird problem that nobody really understands outside, um, but we don't bill our clients, right? Like a human hospital. In a human hospital, you bill your clients and you have a different problem, which is collections, getting them to pay it, right? Most veterinarians don't have the problem, but what we have instead is a mischarges problem. And that means we do all these services, but because we bill at the point of care, we don't, we don't ever capture all of them on our invoice. Right. Right. Yeah. And what we found is our software completely automates um, the doing of a thing because the staff doesn't want to do it anywhere else. They want to do it here because it's got calculators and plums and the safety warnings and it keeps them organized. And so when they do them, it automatically bills for them. And in our treatment plan, it does a great job because we integrate back to the software in most cases. But in our um, in our EMR, it just blows it out of the water because it's one thing. And so this mischarge capture, I mean, in some hospitals, some hospitals have self-reported that we've made them millions of dollars, plural, in the first year um, that they believe is just because we installed our software, which is incredible. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's probably the biggest example. Well, and I think it would inspire the veterinarians at the ground level to maybe even do a little bit more if they felt like they had that safety check. Yeah, well, maybe. and it, you know, we all talk about the pay gap for our nursing staff. I mean, this kind of stuff, if you um, can actually achieve it, can, I mean, that will eventually flow back to the staff. Um, and so it has a more powerful impact than most people think. And by the way, that those mischarges, those are, you know, those are, you know, it's money, right? It's dollars, but it's straight to the bottom line, which for a financial person is huge because you've already paid the overhead on the services, the sub-Q fluids you forgot to give, right? You've already paid for the supplies. You've already paid for the staff. If you actually capture something you weren't, I mean, it, it, it not only um, uh, goes uh, back into your pocket, but it goes to the bottom line, um, which means, you know, if you're looking at valuation of your practice, that extra million is actually a, you know, whatever the multiple is, 10x um, in terms of valuation. So it's a huge amount of um, money when you actually consider what it does for them. Yeah. So tell me practically, if somebody is like really interested in this, if they're, you know, where are you at? Like, are you putting it in lots of emergency clinics? Are you putting it in some small animal? Is it still in testing? Like, where are you guys at with all this? Yeah, so we, we're crazy. We actually launched a third product. So we have three products. <laughs> um, so I let think me I wrote that level. down. Scripts, instant scripts. Yeah, Scripps is a really scripts. exciting. So this is our brand new product this year, okay. which, you know, Instinct Scripts is a um, is basically uh, the industry's first true agnostic prescribing platform. Um, and in human health, there is you know this is handled meaning when you need to send medication outside of your hospital walls, you just deprescribe it to wherever you want. You know, Wegmans, Publix, um, CVS, Target, you know, all the online pharmacies. So. We don't have a great way to do that. Instead, what we have is like oh. 20 different things you got to log into. So nobody does. And then what do we do? We fax and we call. Um, and so this, this is actually a free tool that we're starting to offer. It's still in beta. Um, this is a big pro there's a reason it doesn't exist. It has a lot of regulation, uh, regulatory hurdles you need to handle, but it is a really cool tool that we plan to offer, you know, in our soft, other software systems, but also outside for veterinarians. So that's the third one. And that's the newer one where we are is, um, our treatment plan is used in, you know, hundreds of hospitals, um, still growing. Uh, we're still growing that system. It's used in some of the biggest places in the world, and many of your listeners probably use it. The EMRs are um, really our future, the full practice management software. We will always offer the treatment plan separate, but, um, but the EMR is rolling out every week in specialty ER urgent care centers. We do have about 20% GP, um, and uh, it's a complete system. I mean, it can handle some of the biggest hospitals. Um, I think uh, I think we're over 50 now fully on it um, uh, rolling out this year and then um, and we have at least another 50 signed up and waiting to be rolled on um, and then we have um, 
then we have our scripts product, which is pretty new. So hopefully that gives you like a landscape. Yeah, it does. So when you're going into a new hospital with the the um, EMR, DMR mm -hmm. project product, how do you encourage them to change? Like the biggest pushback we get in our hospital is whenever we buy a new piece of equipment or we change something like the whole staff like pushes back because they have that fear of change. Yeah, that, and that's one of my most fascinating things that I like to talk about because it, it's such a it slows us down so much. Change management is fascinating <laughs> to me. Um, it um, so yeah, I mean, change is hard for any human, right? And right. so the, then you get a group of people. The best to talk about is like I actually think it's a bigger change to go from a paper treatment sheet to a digital than switching EMRs. Like, well, um, I went through that with my practice. Yeah, that is very difficult yeah. to to just let so, go paper and and be like. <clears throat> and feel yep. like everything is going to get in the computer. Yeah. I mean, we, it felt like a real slog in the early days getting some of these hospitals and there are still hospitals, specialty hospitals out there that run on paper. I mean, they are, they don't realize this, but I know several staff who, you know, they, they have staffing problems like everybody else, but people won't pick up per diem shifts at these places because why would you write? I mean, I would never work a shift where I had to write a treatment. You had to write I mean, paper. <laughs> yeah, that's like a deal breaker for me. Um, yeah. I, I don't care if it's instinct or whatever, but I'm not writing paper treatment sheets. Like this isn't 1995. So um, <laughs> it, it just is crazy to me, but um, but these places have a change management problem, right? Um, and I get it, um, you know, change is hard enough, but change in a veterinary clinic is really difficult. And, and by the way, it's usually for the right reasons. I, I talk about this concept of, you know, I. I I lecture also on this, you know, change management topic, so I could go on all day, but I'll tell you one, you know, tip I give hospitals, which is cater to your dinosaurs and, and cater to your dinosaurs I developed years ago, it, dinosaur does not mean the old people, that's what people not think I'm talking folks. about. <laughs> nope, um, because I know people who are young, just out of school, who you know are are just as bad, right? Because they're just for whatever reason they're change averse. Um, but um, I'm talking about the people that if they don't adapt, they are going to die. They're not going to be be surviving in this industry or whatever they're doing, right? Because the change is coming, right? Um, and so, but the interesting thing is in the clinics, I always find that the people who are the most change averse, I'll, I'll use a stereotype, which is just like you know the nurse who's been doing it forever and he or she tends to be like if your pet's sick they're the ones you're bringing your your animal to they're right? the good ones right the they're really, the ones really you want yeah, taking have, care I of your staff of right <laughs> yep they are your dinosaurs you can picture them right mm -hmm. um but and why do they hate the change why are they scared of it because they want to take care of your pet that's their singular mission in life and they're worried it's going to get in the way like actually try to put yourself in their shoes and and when you cater to them, so one thing I used to do, I've been through several transitions of software in my career that's informed building instinct, but um, I, instead of being holed up at my doctor's office or in the admin, I would do my clinical work right next to them all day, right? Because when they're complaining about something they can't figure out or um, or something they don't like about the change, you're right there to step in and say, hey, what's going on? Let me show you. Um, let me talk to you about it. Oh, that's a good idea. That's that's an interesting problem. And you're right there to catch it before it becomes a culture problem in, in your hospital, right? Before it's like, oh, well, this person said it doesn't do this. So I've heard it sucks, you know? Um, and and so you, you sort of get ahead of it. And it's one silly little tip but um it really is powerful and i've seen this work so well i just wrote an article for our we have this blog called pick the brain that a lot of people follow and we just try to share learnings because you know instinct or not we try to share learnings from hospitals because we work with a lot of really cool hospitals who have a lot of um, really great ideas. They tend to self-select for being progressive, wonderful centers. And, yeah. and basically we learn a lot from them and we try to share it. Um, and one of the things I just shared is, you know, sort of this concept um, called in it, that's called self-efficacy. And it's, it's sort of about whether you believe or don't believe that you're going to be able to do something and how what it, whichever of those you choose ends up being right because of what you chose right which is a really wild thing and i started Power reading the about brain, it right 
Yeah, I I have a um, I have a friend who's in the industry who um, has a background in philosophy, and um, you know, I was talking to him about this concept. It has real science behind it. A lot of people um, get scared to hear this stuff, but it is. It, he was talking about the power of it in change management, and and I started dissecting some of our go lives that go well versus don't. And, and usually, the common denominator is a strong leader who leads with the self-efficacy approach. And and I I got to go to a live uh, go live at a place with one of the best leaders I know in the industry. Um, and she seeing her lead the team through a transition to instinct EMR was illuminating for me because it, and it went so well. Um, and I know why. It, it's how you frame things to your team, how you lead. And I talk about it in this article. So it's a, it's a fascinating topic. Yeah, I love it. it. It doing this for so many years and being through a lot of change. It is, it's, it's really fascinating. The people that will get right on board and want to try something. And then the people that don't and, and how do you get everybody to turn that ship? Yeah. So is there anything else that I don't know to ask you about instinct that you can share or do you think you you have it? Yeah, I, I'll just tell you, I mean, as good as our software is and is becoming, we are so excited about um, the future. We really think it's just starting. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this, um, the special thing about us is not our software, it's our team. Our team is incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's what makes Instinct special. Um, we're sort of this really interesting mix of half technology people and half veterinary people, veterinary experts in the industry. We've got CVPMs on the team. We've got um, we got 10 veterinarians. We have veterinary nurses, people who are uh, managers in their past life of hospitals. Um, so it's a really incredible team. And as it turns out, support. I mean, when you ask our hospitals, what's their favorite thing about our software, even though it's, you know, so they love all the features, it's our team. Uh, we have live chat. So, um, you know, they feel like they're part of the team whenever they have an issue 24 hours a day. And we've got hospitals in, you know, as far away as Hong Kong. So it's like, it, it's a hard thing to do, but, but it's a really important part of building what we're building. So I'll, I'll just give a shout out to our entire team. Yeah. And that's the truth in any business, right? Is having the right team and having the right support is what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, it sounds really interesting. If people want to check it out and they're interested in more, um, where can they where can they check it out on your website? How could they? Yeah, get I think our, if they wanted to. Yeah, our website's probably the best place. Instinct.vet, V-E-T. So pretty easy, um, and uh, we'd love to give you a demo, show you what we're working on, um, and uh, talk to you about where we're headed for the future. Yeah. Do they? Do you have like a? like a free demo or something they can sign up for or do they sign yeah. up for yeah, we, them? yeah someone will contact them and we have a couple different ways they can see you know the software depending on what they're looking for the treatment plan versus the emr or scripts even um uh, so yeah we're happy to talk to anybody we we usually prefer to do it live um because a lot of people have questions about what we're building and, right. and i think that's the best way awesome okay so before we wrap up um can you offer your best advice to either people that want to go into veterinary medicine or that are just getting into it, um, the new people starting out? What's your advice as somebody that's been through a lot of different aspects and also is an entrepreneur? Yeah, I get this question a lot from the vet students where I do lectures and they're my favorite ones to talk to, but um, I, I think I'll, I'll give you know, two pieces of advice. One is you're the generation that is going to fix the, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, well-being part of veterinary medicine for the practitioners. And mm -hmm. I always tell people, you know, you get out into practice and people are just, it's a culture of life comes last to a detriment. Um, and it's, you know, it's incredible, um, but you have to break that. And one of the things that I started doing midway through my career was really protecting, like um, getting home on time. Um, and, you know, a lot of people looked at me sort of sideways in the early parts of my career about that. But the truth of it was I worked really hard to find ways to be efficient. I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on, you know, whatever during the day. Um, I got my job done. 
I did a really good job, I think, on most days. I helped my colleagues and I got out on time. Um, but I wasn't there to, um, you know, sort of stay because a colleague who is more senior than me isn't as efficient as I am and get out. And that's the way this culture is going to be fixed, honestly. Um, now, we're practitioners. At the end of the day, you can't leave people high and dry. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, there are plenty of days where you have to be there, especially in the emergency room. But you're the generation that's going to fix this mentality. Um, and then the second thing is, if you are entre, you know, if you have an idea to fix something, or you're you're coming out of vet school and you're you have an entrepreneurial mindset, my best advice is become a really high quality clinician first. Um, it's a really hard thing to tell people because a lot of people want to go right out into a business or into industry. I don't think it's a great way to do it because I know too many people, you will never go back to be a, uh, to learn how to be a high quality clinician. That is a fact. I don't care what people tell you. You have to be a really special person to work in industry and then go back and learn how to practice 10 years later. It's not going to happen. Um, but you will always be so thankful that you have an amazing skill. I mean, my clinic days, I still cherish um, because it's wonderful to be reminded of why we're here and being able to go into practice and help animals all day. Um, it, I know it sounds crazy to most people who work, you know, and I, I commiserate with it for, you know, four to five shifts a week. But when you get to do what I'm doing eventually, and you've been informed by your practice experience, you'll always have that to fall back on. And that's a really wonderful thing. And, and I'm, it, it didn't happen by strategy, but I, you know, learned how to be a high quality clinician for the first, you know, five to 10 years of my career. And that has served me really well because that's what I focused on. Yeah, and it's such a unique profession. Like there there are totally. not a lot of us, you know? No. I go into a party and people ask you what you are and you say you're a vet and they just, they light up. It just happened to me last weekend. I went to a graduation party and this lady's like, oh, let me tell you about my dog that died six <laughs> years ago. Like, like the whole story of her dog that she hasn't had for six years. And there's something uniquely amazing about that and being the person that gets to heal their heart or listen to their story or whatever. Yeah. And I just appreciate you, you know, being an advocate for this profession that we can change it. And that's what you're here to do. That's what I'm here to do. And hopefully, you know, if we get a positive attitude going and love the profession and, but still go home, and and enjoy your family i think i think that's what it's all about so that's what i'm excited about so any last words anything that we should have said that we didn't no thanks it's been great it's been uh, delightful I hope it was talking to you I, it's been amazing meeting you and i'm really intrigued by this so i'm gonna have to go check it out and see cool. how it, it might fit i'm in a general practice but when it's when it comes to that level i think i think all of this sounds great yeah, no, we will. We'll we'll be more focused on the general practice in the future, and and people will see that. But um, but it, it still works really well for it already. So um, yeah. so yeah, thanks for having me. So I appreciate you so much. This is Dr. Caleb Frankel, and I'm so excited that you are here today. I thank you so much, and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon at somewhere, maybe on the podcast again. That sounds great. Thank you so thank much. You. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Bye.